The following is a paid presentation of Central Maine Healthcare. 99.5 WCME. Welcome to yet another edition of WCME's Central Maine Healthcare Close-Up. I'm Jim Blykamp. We're doing the program today keeping in mind that it is Lung Cancer Awareness Month. And we are talking with Dr. Michael Brown from Central Maine Medical Center, who is a radiation oncologist and who also says... I'm quoting you here, doctor. I believe that radiation oncology is the perfect medical specialty. That is quite a statement. Uh, Why do you say that? Yeah, well, I mean, so it's the perfect medical specialty, at least for me. uh, And uh, it always has been. um, Because when I was trying to sort of find my identity within medicine, um, it really was a lengthy process of ruling out things that I didn't like. Um, and finding where I fit. And for me, radiation oncology is perfect for a variety of reasons. One is it has an absolute goal in mind. So you're not sort of longitudinally managing things uh, that may or may not ever go away. So we have a potential solution to a problem, which is very similar to surgery, but I knew all along I would never be a surgeon because I just don't fit into that sort of group. Um, But... I respect what they do, and I love the fact that what they, what they do has a goal in mind and has a sort of definitive approach. And so radiation is very much like that, and you're going to go forward with a plan with a goal in mind, and it's either going to work or it's not going to work. And when it works, it's absolutely amazing, right? So that's the, uh, the part about it that to me is perfect. The other part that's perfect is the patient relationships. So in this specialty, our patients are often under treatment for many weeks at a time, uh, they're here every day, you know, Monday through Friday for sometimes two weeks, sometimes up to eight or nine weeks. And so you really do get to know your patients extremely well. And I feel like the, the patient relationship that we have is second to none. And that was really important to me uh, going into medicine as a part of whatever specialty I chose. So those are probably the two basic uh, core principles that made it perfect for me. I'd like to take just a moment here, perhaps to clarify the obvious, but when you talk about a definitive goal, you are talking about a definitive life and death goal. Uh, Are you not curing lung cancer? I mean, sometimes that's the case, right? So when we do radiation treatment, um, which, I mean, sort of to back up a couple steps, what I do is use radiation and specifically external beam radiation to treat cancer. And so when a patient comes in here, the first thing that has to be achieved is you have to identify what your goals are going to be. And that's going to be different for different patients, but in general, to simplify it, it's either going to be with curative intent to try to get rid of their cancer completely, or with palliative intent, which means to try to um, prevent problems or decrease problems that they're already having. Maybe you don't expect in certain scenarios to actually cure their disease, but you can still minimize the impact that that disease has on their life. Would it be correct to say you're trying to lengthen the lifespan? Um, In some cases, yeah, or at least make the remainder of their life more comfortable, right? Uh, Yeah. So if they have pain or problems related to their tumor, uh, maybe we can control those symptoms so that whatever their lifespan is going to be, whether it's measured in months or years, um, that it has the highest level of quality for them. Um, and, you know, that's sometimes just as important as whether or not you can actually cure or, you know, get rid of the disease itself. But 
Um, so yeah, so when I say we have a goal in mind, you know, we create a plan together with the patient. Um, if if there's the potential to cure that cancer, like if it's a stage that is potentially curable, that is absolutely our goal going into it. Now we may not always succeed in achieving that goal, but many times we do, and um, so that's our goal moving forward. But other times, you know, if somebody comes in with with disease that has spread, you know, to many areas, and we know that we can't completely get rid of it, but we can still, you know, fight the good fight and make uh, their quality of life better. Um, so then that's our goal, right? It's to make them more comfortable, to make the remainder of their days more meaningful, and um, and then we set out to achieve that. We're going to dig into this a lot further, but uh, first of all, uh, tell us for uh, just a moment something about uh, your background, how you happen to land at Central Maine Medical Center. Oh, yeah. So, I mean, I've been here just over eight years now. So, uh, my wife and at that time three kids and I moved here uh, from Washington State uh, just over eight years ago, like I said. Uh, before that, I was working uh, at the University of Washington in Seattle, and before that I was in the Army. So we had sort of been in a variety of locations, um, which is how we wound up in the Pacific Northwest. And ultimately uh, we were looking for you know, the right place for us to raise our family, which, like I said, at that time we had three kids. Um, we've since had two more, so now we have a family of seven, all told, and um, moved out here because it seemed like a really great place to raise our kids sure. and um, be sort of a part of the community and just had a lot of the geographic uh, features that we were looking for, and um, and it just so happened that there was an opening here. Uh, ironically, the person who left here moved to Washington State, and I moved from Washington <laughs> to here. But uh, nonetheless, so yeah, uh, just over eight years ago, and uh, couldn't be happier with that move. Sure. Talked to so many people who travel around the country just kind of uh, testing out uh, various locales and find their way back to Maine, inevitably. Seems to work that way often. The statistics on uh, cancer and uh, lung cancer deaths, I'm looking at some of them as we speak, and uh, they are harrowing, I guess uh, would be uh, one word. It says here uh, about 218,500 people diagnosed with lung cancer every year. Lung cancer leading cause of cancer deaths, 142,000 die from it. Is it fair to say that lung cancer is among the least survivable cancers? I, I probably wouldn't say it's the least one of the least survivable. I mean, it's certainly not great, but um, you know, the, and I totally agree with what you just said. The numbers are harrowing, and but the number of people that die every year, 142,000, is just based on sheer volume. The fact that it is, you know, the second most common cancer uh, among all. Uh, adults, uh, second only in women to breast or uh, in men to prostate cancer, um, but certainly has a higher mortality rate than either of those two diseases. Um, But there are other cancers that are just far less common, but the percentage of patients that succumb to those diseases is way higher. So things like, you know, pancreatic cancer has a far higher mortality rate. Oh, yeah. Um, you know, everybody knows uh, about pancreatic cancer or certain brain tumors. You know, glioblastoma has a very high mortality rate. Uh, you know, advanced malignant melanoma can be very aggressive. Um, and so, you know, relative to those, you know, 
I wouldn't say it's one of the least survivable, but it clearly has the greatest impact on all-cause mortality, you know what I mean? And, and so it makes it an extremely important topic and an extremely important disease to understand and to approach aggressively. Is there, is there anything, uh, perhaps uh, genetic or uh, any condition, that a particular patient uh, might be uh, exhibiting some way or anything in a given patient's uh, atmosphere that might make it more likely for uh, him or her to be a survivor? To be a survivor or to be at risk? So, I mean, there are clearly a lot of things that have been linked to lung cancer in general, right? I mean, everybody knows about cigarette smoking as a, as a cause. No, I was talking about uh, survival. Survival. Um, you know, I don't think there's anything that necessarily environmentally or genetically uh, increases your probability of survival, per se. Um, you know, it comes down to uh, the type of cancer that you're diagnosed with, type of lung cancer, the, the stage at which it's identified, and then, of course, the treatments and the response that you get. I have a note here that says that depending on the source, the overall survival rate is something like 20 to 25 percent, but uh, this, there's also a notation here that that can be misleading. Yeah, it can certainly be misleading because, like, uh, as I just mentioned, the, the stage of your disease when you're diagnosed will speak most specifically to what your overall prognosis is going to be. So there are patients who, when they're found to have lung cancer, have a very small tumor in the lung, nothing else, no lymph nodes involved, no evidence of disease anywhere else. They have stage one disease. And the cure rates of that situation are, you know, in excess of 90%, whether they're managed surgically or in some cases with radiation therapy alone, um, and often don't require any chemotherapy and have incredible outcomes. Um, on the contrary, if you have, you know, stage 3 or stage 4 disease and it's very advanced, then you're starting to tick down, you know, that spectrum toward the, you know, 25, 20%, 5-year survival rates. Um, and so it's really important when it's identified to sort of get a grip on what the full extent of disease is because that will clearly drive treatment recommendations and it will obviously also... Uh, give you a much more uh, clear sense of what the uh, overall outcome is likely to be. Let me ask you for a little bit of uh, expert speculation here. If everybody, if the whole world stops smoking overnight, uh, by how much would the rate of lung cancer drop? Oh, that's, that's such a great question. Um, you know, I mean, you would have to assume that the rates of lung cancer would probably drop in half over time. So there's there's a lag time bias, right? So, um, you know, over the last 10 years or so, the the rates of uh, cigarette smoking have been decreasing, right? So, you know, if you go back 15 years, there was probably 20 to 25% of people were smoking, and now it's down somewhere between 10 to 15%, and yet the, the rates of actual lung cancer have only been declining, albeit relatively steadily, by about 2% a year. Um, and so as people become more aware of the obvious ties between smoking and lung cancer and as people make smarter choices with regard to their lifestyle, that has uh, a delayed effect on, you know, the number of overall cases that we're seeing. But, 
you know, so again, back to your question, if, if, ha- if everybody stopped, then I would venture to guess that we would see probably a 40 to 50 percent decline in the number of cases eventually. It would take a long time to get there, yeah. but, there but there are other, you know, things that, that contribute to lung cancer uh, development, whether it's, you know, genetics, whether it's other environmental exposures like uh, obviously asbestos, everybody's familiar with that, or radon, or a variety of other, you know, chemicals, beryllium and chromium and soot and whatnot. So, um, you know, those things all tie in. So you're never going to make it zero, um, but it would, man, it would make a huge impact. By the way, how are we doing in your judgment uh, when it comes to smoking education, tobacco education? Because, of course, I look back on the last uh, 50 years and, uh, it's a total turnabout from the uh, previous 50 years. We've had all kinds of governmental, societal messages, right and left public service announcements that tobacco, cigarettes can kill you, yet you still hear people uh, rationalizing their cigarette smoking and saying that if if they yeah. limit it to one a day or something, they're not really at risk. So how are we doing? Well, I mean, I think we've made great strides, as you just implied or you know referred to. Um, you know, I think... The public awareness uh, is much greater, and you clearly, you know, I, I, I can't tell you how many patients I've seen who tell me that they started smoking when they were 8 or 9 or 10 years old, which is, I mean, <clears throat> mortifying, but you clearly don't see that happening anymore because the, well, hopefully you don't, um, because the, the public awareness is so much greater. And, and I think that the messaging is out there. I mean, obviously... We have to continue with that, and we have to continue to drive that message home that that cigarette smoking is the single greatest contributor to lung cancer, uh, and the more we can do to minimize its impact on, you know, overall public health, we should do everything within our power to do that. Um, you know, I mean, I, some of the the things that have been put into place, like the little warning labels on cigarette packs and so on. Like, I don't know if I truly believe that that has a meaningful impact on people's choices. Like, if they're going into the gas station to buy cigarettes and they grab it, they're probably not going to read that warning and change their mind. Yeah. So I don't, I don't know that that's really uh, doing much other than protecting the tobacco companies anymore. Um, but, but it speaks to the fact that there is sort of a forced awareness out there. And we just have to try to continue and not become complacent uh, in the need to continue to educate the public about the importance of smoking cessation or avoidance altogether. I am old enough to remember uh, when those warning labels first came out, and I think they were very striking and stark uh, when they first came out. But, you know, over a period of time, uh, they just kind of fade into the background of the packaging, I think. Yeah, yeah. Truly a fascinating thing to talk to Dr. Michael Brown about lung cancer, so much so that we'll have him back next week. I'm Jim Blykamp. This is Central Maine Healthcare Close-Up. Health information for you every week at this time. From Radio Mid Coast WCMA.